Spring is in the air at Littleton Coin Company, and we want to help you brighten your collection. Visit us at littletoncoin.com all month long to enjoy 15% off your purchase. With a wide selection of coins, paper money, supplies, and more, Littleton Coin Company has something for every collector's taste. Use promo code SPRING at littletoncoin.com for 15% off your purchase all month long. Restrictions apply. Littleton Coin Company. Serving collectors since 1945. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. I also think when you combine a woman's grief with rage, mm-hmm. anything can happen. Yeah, exactly. And that, exactly. like your book That's is that. It's an explosion. <laughs> and I honestly, I think rage is a really, um, I think rage is a really useful emotion. And it's, it has served me in ways that when, where grief has let me down, rage has served me. On this episode of Lit Up, I speak with Lisa Tadeo, author of the international bestseller, Three Women, about her first novel, Animal, which is about a woman called Joan, who has spent a lifetime enduring the cruelties of men. The novel opens with a shocking act of violence when a married man whom Joan has been seeing confronts her in a New York City restaurant. From here, Joan flees New York City for Los Angeles in search of a woman called Alice, the only person alive who can help her make sense of her past. Lisa and I chat about our mutual obsession with our own mothers, being honest about jealousy between women, and seeking out wisdom from older French actresses. From Sugar 23, I'm Angela Ledgerwood, and this is Lit Up. Oh my goodness, Lisa Tadeo, I am so excited to have you back on Lit Up. I have been looking forward to this so much, but I have also had a nervous tummy because I'm afraid of what we're going to talk about. (laughs) Oh no. (laughs) So... Thank you so much for being here to talk about your just exquisite, terrifying novel, Animal. I guess I have to premise the interview with the fact that I read your book, Animal, and I often leave the last few chapters for just before, you know, I talk to someone. And so I (laughs) got up at 6 a.m. this morning and I crept out and like in this beautiful light of this room I devoured the end of your book but I feel like my heart is still beating from it and I had to go for a walk afterwards without my phone to just metabolize what I just read and I'm still a little shaky because I think I connect to it so much um, so that is just oh. a precursor to say, who knows what will <laughs> will 
will happen um, in this conversation. <laughs> well, that is so, thank you. That means the world to me. I, I want to ask when, Joan, your protagonist first started to speak to you and if it was before uh, you started writing Three Women or whether it was also informed by the voices of the women that you had spoken to over you know, the decade that you took writing your first nonfiction book. Joan was always kind of lingering because I had tried to write a, a similar novel, um, not similar. It was the first book I ever sold, um, this novel that was called Bitch at, at the time. Um, this was many years ago. And I decided I didn't want it to come out. I didn't want that to be my first novel. I've had that voice in me for a while. Um, but after Three Women, the voice came back. What added to the voice was that I was talking to so many women about the women that I had was talking to for Three Women. And people were always calling Lena, for example, pathetic. I was very... Um, I was very protective of of Lena and, and all the women that I had spoken to and all the women in there. So Joan, um, sort of the character that I'd originally always had in my head, grew talons, I suppose. The idea of the judgment of women by other women was something that, that really made the character uh, her own force and that it sharpened it after, um, after I started working on Three Women. Can you describe Joan as we meet her in the beginning of the book? We meet Joan. She tells us she's out to dinner with a married man when another married man, a different one, comes into the restaurant and shoots himself in the head in front of her. And after that, Joan decides to leave New York to go to Los Angeles to explore this woman from her past who she believes holds the key to why she was in that restaurant to begin with. What kind of person is Joan when we meet her? Joan, when we meet her, is in a sort of cool disarray. She's ready to stop giving a shit, but has not fully matriculated into that mindset. So she's still holding on to her past, but also ready to shed everything and, and just kind of live fully in the present. Just now you mentioned that such a big part of both three women and animal is exploring how women relate to one another, the jealousies they have, but also the connection and friendship. For me, I felt at the beginning of Animal, Joan doesn't have any female network of support. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And yet there hints that this is going to be part of what is going to help make her whole eventually. Yeah. Why was that such an important thing to explore? How women relate to one another and how that can change with some maturity? I find that um, that we don't want to be honest about the fact that there can be such competition and judgment between women. And I think not wanting to admit it is what gets us into trouble. So I like the word you just said, maturity. It's hard to be a female. It is really difficult right now because we are coming off of the Me Too movement, which has given us this sort of 
power and voice to say what we don't want from men, but we're still kind of, it's almost put us in this other box where we're afraid to say what we do want from men or what we want from other women because we're afraid of other women judging us. I think it's hard to be honest about the fact we're biologically speaking, we are competitive in that the arena of childbirth and all of that, there's a biological competition ingrained in us. And I think that society just makes it worse by by making us feel bad for for the things that we feel and making us unable to express them. So I wanted to explore how a relationship between women can be one of the most beautiful and intricate, but also really potentially, you know, complex with lots of places to fall into traps. Because when you have a heterosexual man and a heterosexual woman coming together, the, the only real problem is the idea of attraction and whether or not that's ever going to come into it. But with two women, there's so much more. I also think we we learn from our mothers and mm-hmm. the women in our lives how to relate to other women. Yep. In the book, you so beautifully explore Joan's role models. And could you tell us about, is it Gozia? Is that the correct pronunciation? For me, Joan, Joan's relationship with Gozia, with her aunt, is, is really, it, she's coming off of, um, of a, a, the loss of, of a mother, and it's a loss of a particular kind of a mother. So I think that um, the, the sort of female relationship I wanted her to have to kind of, quote unquote, replace it, was one that wasn't um, one that would help Joan more so in the world. Like she didn't sort of. It was almost too late for Joan to have a kind of caretaking role. She had to learn some new things. So I almost feel like it was almost like more um, like combat training in a sense is how I I saw that for her because that was the only thing she could have accepted into her life at that time. I feel like she was also teaching Joan to have secrets and not Mm -hmm. to put all your stake in a man. Mm -hmm. There's a great quote that she says to Joan and it's, have more secrets than the man you were with. (laughs) And there was a subtext in saying, if you do, if you do it that way, you won't end up like your mother. Exactly. Um, exactly. I'm really glad that that, that came across because that is exactly what um, I'm, I'm really interested in, in the idea of that. I think that what's really, um, what's striking is that in, in the U.S., uh, American moms and, and daughters don't have the same conversations that in my experience, European moms and, and their children have. I think that, you know, there is something about a European um, mom or just a mom from a country that isn't America, because I don't think we see it as much here, where they they speak more about the differences between the genders and they are more kind of um, raw about uh, things like don't give away. Why would anybody buy the milk when you give away the cow for free? That's something that I I feel like that things like that are said more often um, in in other countries than than in the U.S., we don't talk about the gender. We, we rely more on the hope that by the time we get to a certain place, that we, that we'll have gender equality, rather than talking about what has already happened and and what exists. That's so interesting. I'm trying to reflect back 
on my own childhood in Australia. And I would quite have liked some instructions. Mm -hmm. I guess my mum has had a few of those things, but usually Mm -hmm. it's just like stay away Mm -hmm. from the ones with the blue eyes, you know, something that's not necessarily... (laughs) Not exactly workable across. (laughs) No, or a character trait. No, it's obviously that's about someone in particular. Um, (laughs) Are there any of those, I don't know if I would call them pearls of wisdom because I think they can often lead us astray as well, Mm -hmm. but are there any that you hold on to that were very helpful as you became a woman? Well, you know, my mom does not do what um what Joan what Joan's mom or or her aunt do in in animals. So my mom, I didn't get that from my mom either. I think whatever I saw was more um I might have picked up more on her kind of attitude in, in things and watching, but she didn't give me any any pearls of wisdom in that regard. Um, about men, I love hearing what older French actresses have said. About I think you can learn so much from from women who have come before us, and especially ones who are famed for being gorgeous. It's interesting to hear what their life experiences are and what you can glean from them. And I, I read this book, and I'll, I'll be curious to know. It's so embarrassing. My well, this was like maybe like ten a decade ago or so. My friend and I both read Why Men Date Bitches. Have you ever read that? Or <laughs> I seen haven't it? read that. I haven't. So it's a silly, you know, obviously it's a silly title, but then this is coming from the person who quit smoking with a book called The Easy Way to Quit Smoking. So maybe, maybe easy titles were built for <laughs> me. But um, it is kind of a remarkable book for pearls of wisdom. And I don't think it's just for women. Like it could be why, why women marry bitches like right whatever whatever the uh the inverse would be but it's so um it just reinforces the idea that people want what they can have and I think that's the number one thing um people want what is not going to come easily to them is just the the number one you know if you want something that you're probably you're screwed in wanting it and you need to figure out how to stop wanting it. You need to like look at other people, find, go, just that's my biggest thing is um, is to to not want something. That probably definitely came from my mother, the idea of if you don't want, you won't be, you won't miss out on anything. I wonder also though, what happens if You've worked so hard to get that in quote, bitch. It's almost (laughs) then like what happens then? Because once you have gotten something that you've coveted so much, that relationship cannot stay the same Mm -hmm. in that chasing state. So then I feel like the relationships are screwed or they have to evolve into some other kind of dynamic. But I'm also wondering if bitches in quote, (laughs) just knew how to say what they wanted or they actually have a much better vocabulary for saying no to men that they don't want. Do you know what I'm talking about? Yeah, I do. I I think that, um, I, I do think that's part of it too. I think all of it really comes down to a confidence that, that even if you don't get this, you'll be okay. I think there's probably nothing sexier than someone who 
doesn't really require anything to learn to be okay with themselves. Do you know what I mean? I, I think that if you feel like you need a husband or a wife or a job or a best friend or something, if you feel, if you walk around feeling like you need this one thing to complete you, um, I think that's when you're the least attractive because you're so actively looking for something outside of yourself. So I think it all boils down to confidence. I don't think there's anything sexier than confidence in a man or a woman. And and sometimes you don't have the confidence. Sometimes you're going through a bad, it doesn't mean you're not going to have it again or, you know, books like that one and, and, and things that, you know, that our parents say. And all of the messages are, um, are interesting and all of them carry enough water to examine and see what sort of truth they still hold. I, I think that a danger is in looking at anything that comes from the past as, as totally outdated, outmoded thinking, which, you know, is not always the case. And I'm, I, I think thinking, our thinking, our thoughts, our ideas about romance and sex and equality are always getting better. But there's also, there's, there are things that are kind of blanket true, you know, um, and, and one of them is, I think, people being attracted to people who don't need. Your whole book feels to me like an exploration of how to get to that place. Mm-hmm. And I don't know whoever said this about writing, that almost like somewhere in the book, someone should, the author should be telling you exactly what the book is about. Uh-huh. And there <laughs> is a part in here that I have dog-eared, but... I don't want to share it because I want people to read the book to find it itself. But do you know the part I'm talking about where you say, this is what this is about. This Mm -hmm. is what this story is about. And part Mm -hmm. of it is for a woman to learn and for a man to learn that that thing that they're craving most can't be filled with the body of another person. Right. Like that need is going to be so endless. Yeah that it's almost like eating. Like you can't eat all those people or have sex with all these people. It's not going to fill you in the same way that I think if you've ever had issues with food, we know that's another compulsion Mm -hmm. to get rid of the anxiety or something. What was that for you? It, it It was exactly what you said. It was a kind of distillation of that, of, of the entire book's, exploration because at at the end of the day I one of the things I do with writing is try to explain things to myself and also try to explain them the way that I feel to other people it's like two communications are going on one's to me and one's to the world I think that that exactly what you said is true that part was a distillation of the whole book and the whole idea of um of, of my wanting to explore what it's like to not need anything. And Joan has gotten to a place where she doesn't want to need things anymore. You've spoken before, I listened to you, talked about how so much, particularly American culture, talks about daddy issues mm-hmm. and that daddy issues are always the thing that influence our relationships mm-hmm. with men in our lives but you felt like it was mommy issues that really influence us. Mm-hmm. How 
how do those two ideas, kind of daddy issues and mummy issues, how did they find themselves in your book? What were you trying to unravel about the stereotypes of the way we think about those relationships? I was, you know, uh, someone who um, who had more so mommy issues than daddy issues, and who saw more mommy issues than daddy issues in all of the, um, all of the, most of the women that I spoke to for three women. I was really um, intrigued with with how mommy issues uh, manifest in your later adult life versus daddy issues. And, and predictably, um, they cause a little bit more difficulty with female relationships than, than daddy issues do cause the running joke is find a girl with daddy issues. She's bound to be trying to please. I think that there's, there's marked differences and, and they both leave you wanting a certain kind of affection. And I think that what mommy issues, you know, Joan has mommy issues. It's something that I have more of than, than daddy issues. And I just wanted to explore what that does to a woman and how it's the less talked about thing, but how it screws up your, um, your, your relationships with men as well as with women, um, in, in a way that's almost definitely, I think more complex. I just feel like I, I could listen for hours to, to a woman talking about, things with her mom, whereas stuff with her dad is usually a little bit more one note and a little less um, interesting, at least just from my perspective as a listener. But I also feel there's always a point in a young girl's life where something like the obsession with our moms and our ownership of them and our complete... Mm -hmm immersion of their bodies mm -hmm. like I know how my mom smells mm -hmm. I remember just she was the most so mm -hmm. beautiful to me I could I couldn't even take it and watching mm -hmm. there's a scene in Animal where mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. she's trying to climb into her mom's bed kind of like a covert spy because she knows she's mm -hmm. going to be pushed away but that need mm -hmm. to have that proximity um, mm -hmm. this is just this detail that mm -hmm. came to me when I was reading your book, seeing my mom naked with the mm -hmm. string, the tampon string that was yeah, pink, wow. pink and like her oh, walking wow. around the bathroom, just so beautiful. Yeah. And of really course cool. not knowing, but thinking that that everything was beautiful. Yeah. That's and really lovely. Yeah. And how you capture that longing and yearning but what we want in return is to be engulfed with love yeah. as well but that's not right or possible necessarily um but why was that moment like that there's always there's a crack moment mm -hmm. where a child has to understand that there is a boundary and that mm -hmm. mother will have her own boundaries as to mm -hmm. when that happens. But it's a fissure from yeah. that innocence to the, then the beyond. Yeah. Oh God. I mean, that you just put it so beautifully. Um, I, I certainly felt that distance from my own mother, which is something I did want to explore in animal. And with my own daughter, who's six, it's funny. It's I, I, whereas my mom, 
I always felt like my mom had this like other kind of world she escaped to in her head. With me, you know, when I push my daughter off, it's because I have to work. And um, it's a different thing. And I think that I feel um, I feel like I'm more uh, vindicated in in doing that than my own mother was. Because I'm like, what were you doing, lady? You know, <laughs> you weren't working like, you know, I work a lot. And um, I mean, my mom, worked, she did stuff around the house. She cleaned constantly. She was constantly like taking care of our house. But for me, it's like I just, un- until hearing you talk, I was, I've always been like, well, but my my mom pushed me away for no reason. And I'm pushing my daughter away because I have to work. And that just, I was like, oh, shit. You know, and one of the things that I, I say to my daughter, I love you. And she always says, I love you more. And I'm like, no, no, that's not true. That's impossible. And she's like, no, it's not. I know for a fact. And I, my husband, and she says the same thing to my husband. And we're like, that's not true. You don't get how it works. And then I said to her, I said to my husband, rather, I was like, that she, in fact, is right, in a sense. And he's like, no, that's crazy. I'm like, no, it's not, because she only knows us and only has us. And we. she is everything to us, and she is more than anything else. But in her world, like, if we are the only thing, she has her friends that she thinks about, but we're still, you know, the number one things in her life that she wants to and that feeling is something I remember from my own life. Like, I could not exist without my mother. It's, 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 so, it's so hard to kind of, um, because on the, one, on the one hand, you know, you're like, you're still a woman, you're still X, Y, Z, you're still your own person. But then when you become a mother, you really, you're taking on this, um, this thing, this biological heartbeat that, doesn't want anything I know but then I think there's also (laughs) the craving of the child like it's their job it's their biological imperative to crave that yeah and it's it is also the parent's job to know when to wean them yeah a bit it's almost like a second weaning yeah in a way yeah but yeah how how does anyone know when the right moment is or how to do it I don't know. That's why there are still all the books. It's, I know. It's so, um, yeah, it's so, it's so hard. You're right. It is a second weaning and I don't, I don't know. It's like, I'm always thinking in my own head, like when, you know, when is the right, is, if I've done this with her for 12 minutes, is that like, what's enough time when I have to leave to go back to work? What is the right amount of time to give? Well, I think reading Animal gave me such an appreciation for my mother reading your book. I just had such oh, a tenderness for for my mom. And did you experience that? It, I think you must have because it's just laden in there and it's almost that discovery that I think daughters have. We can love our dads so much. There's some somehow we don't judge our fathers like mm-hmm. we judge our mothers yep. as we're growing up. But there is kind of an aha moment, mm-hmm. maybe when you become a mother, where you go, oh, my goodness, mm-hmm. I didn't appreciate her. Yeah. Yeah, I, I totally, totally, I, that, that makes me really happy to hear that, you know, you, you felt that way while reading it. Um, you might appreciate this story. 
I was with a friend's mum on the weekend and that she has three daughters and two of them are twin daughters. And she said, oh, my husband, Mickey, said, do you know what it's like living in a house with all these women? Lamenting the fact. Mm -hmm. And she said, oh, I do know. You mean being adored every second of your entire life Mm -hmm. and not ever doing anything wrong and being Mm -hmm. a god in our household? Yes, Mm -hmm. I can't know. Like, screw you, buddy. And it was mm. the most amazing wow. reframing of that whole yeah. idea. And That's I was like, really I love great. you, Steffi. Shout great. out to you. And he's a wonderful guy, but you but, could imagine yeah. that conversation. Yeah. 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 That's that's fantastic. I love that. I grew up in a in a household where it wasn't my father was very good to my mother, and they had a really good relationship. It, it, it sounds similar to that, but yes, there was a, um, there was definitely a, a part of me that looked at my father as like whenever he was angry at me, it was like this benevolent anger, and when my mother was angry at me, it was this like cruel. How could you? So that in itself is is a is something that came right to mind when you said that. I'm thinking of Joan and how um, she says, I'd spent a lifetime not caring about what women thought of me, but that was merely a lie I told myself to tell others. The truth was that I was afraid of women. Mm -hmm. Um, I feel like it relates to everything we're talking about. We're afraid of losing our mum's love so much. Mm-hmm. And maybe that somehow relates to mm-hmm. how good we are with other women. Yes, I think that's totally true. I'd love to talk about the older men in the book again mm-hmm. and why so many of Joan's relationships and what we would call, say, dysfunctional relationships because they're with married men. Um, what was the dynamic of the older man for Joan? And how does she come to recognize that as she starts to see her past more clearly? Um, Well, for Joan, she meets a series of men who kind of, she is perhaps more open to spending time with because of the loss of her father. The loss of a father band-aid comes in the form of these, these other unavailable men who don't want to be committed to her in a certain way. She was devastated by an early loss. And unfortunately, I think that, you know, when people see other people in positions of need, um, you know, sometimes it's easy to exploit it, especially from a woman. It's easy to, to go, oh, this woman's missing her father. How then does a female friendship in the novel help her see her past relationships in a new light. So she meets Alice, who is, in fact, the woman she went to to California to track down um, because she believes Alice holds the key to her past. But what Alice also has is this sort of non-judgmental ear, and she is the first woman who understands the world Joan has been raised in, and we come to understand why that is. But unlike many of the women Joan has met up until now, Alice listens to her with um, with almost zero judgment. Um, and 
Joan is able to hear herself tell her own story for the first real time. It just reminded me of something that in Italy, there were this group of feminists that decided to get together and read each other their life stories. They would write down these very difficult, significant things that had happened to them in their lives. And yeah. then having another woman read read their story wow. allowed them to hear it That's as if... really amazing. Yes, like you can imagine. Mm-hmm. And I feel like this is what is almost like what you just mentioned, the the ability to for a woman to tell yeah. her story and to have another woman reflect it back to them yeah. differently yeah. or it allows us to go, wait, if that had happened to another woman, yeah. I would be fighting and scratching this man's eye out. Totally. And all of a sudden you can embody it in a different way. Yeah. Yeah. Your work feels like it's always talking to each other. How was Animal a response to three women? Well, it's a response to three women in a sense, because I think that having witnessed what those women went through, I think that Animal was part revenge fantasy for them and for me and for, and I think that we were getting to this, we are getting to this point, we have been in this place where, you know, female rage and anger and um, it's just really important to to express it in a in a sort of homeopathic way um, and to not be afraid of it and to not be ashamed of it. And then now that it's been out in the world, it's been like a, a week or so. Uh, it's had a really visceral response from so many people. And it's been really, it's so helpful to hear that like, oh, this is how I feel. This is helping me. This is, you know, and then the people who have like seen the, the sort of the, how important motherhood is to it. Like, like you have, that's really been great to me because it really is a book about grief and motherhood. Um, you know, and then all the other stuff, all the kind of some of the blood and, and gore of it for me is how I express those feelings, you know, like this is how it feels in my head to be going through this. So, um, so it's been really, it's been, it's been cool to, to hear from people. And now that it's out in the world in a certain way, it's been really, yeah, it's been really rewarding. This is the most rewarding part of, of the the job. I also think when you combine a woman's grief with rage, Mm -hmm. Anything can happen. Yeah, exactly. That exactly. Your book is that. It's an explosion. That's so true. How are you going to bottle this next? Well, I'm going to write a nonfiction book about grief, um, which will be somewhat reported in the fashion of three women, but also somewhat um, personal memoir stuff. So that's that's kind of the next path, but I, the rage aspect of it, um, needed to get out of me first before I could move on. (laughs) And I honestly, I think rage is a really, um, I think rage is a really useful emotion. And I don't think that, and it's, it has served me in ways that when, where grief has let me down, rage has served me. Any specific way you, you could share, um, just in case people are going through something, how, rage has been funneled in or how it's helped more 
one of the things for me that grief does, it is leaves me feeling like nothing matters. And so I can do or say anything. And, and that's also something you see with older people, older, smart people, uh, will sort of say whatever they want to say and not worry too much about how it's received because they know at the end of the day that it's it doesn't really matter. I mean, not just not about being mean, but just about being honest about who you are and what you want. The other thing grief does is I think it like levels you and you don't, if someone's like, oh, you have to come over to dinner at my house. And it's like, I don't want to spend time with that person. Like, I don't want to do that. I'm not going to do it. And so it's more than just rage. It's this kind of like, life is too short. I don't feel like doing that. Or life is too short. This is how I feel. Um, And I think that at the very least, utilizing the freedom that, that grief and anger give you to not give so much of a fuck about how other people are perceiving you, I think is is something is the one of the first steps to getting over that hump, being like, all right, you know what? At least I have this feeling. A clarity, would mm-hmm. you say? Exactly. Clarity. Oh, I'm going to ask the last question that I always end with. Yeah. And it's what lights you up? That is such a great question. Wow. You know, learning new things lights me up. Um, And finding out things that I was like devastatingly wrong about is exciting to me. I like to be taken by surprise by the world. That is the most beautiful answer. (laughs) Thank you. Well, it's the most beautiful question. I had to come up with something. It's brilliant. Lisa, thank you so, so much. Thank you so much. This is absolutely lovely as ever. And um, I'm really, yeah, I'm just really grateful to you for this. I'm so glad. Thank you so much for listening to my conversation with Lisa Tadeo. Her novel, Animal, is available now, and there's a link to purchase it via our website, lituppodcast.com. Lit Up is a podcast from Sugar23. It's hosted by me, Angela Ledgewood, and is produced by Liam Billingham. Mike Mayer and Michael Sugar are the executive producers. The theme music is by Andre Rudofsky. Please make sure to rate, review, and follow the show on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, or wherever you like to listen. Until next time, bye everyone. Spring is in the air at Littleton Coin Company, and we want to help you brighten your collection. Visit us at littletoncoin.com all month long to enjoy 15% off your purchase. With a wide selection of coins, paper money, supplies, and more, Littleton Coin Company has something for every collector's taste. Use promo code SPRING at littletoncoin.com for 15% off your purchase all month long. Restrictions apply. Littleton Coin Company. Serving collectors since 1945. You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, activities, excursions, and more in one place to make your trip truly unforgettable. Viator has over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from. 
Everything from simple tours to extreme adventures and all the niche, interesting stuff in between. So you can plan something that everyone you're traveling with will enjoy. Real Traveler Reviews give the inside scoop from people who've already been on the experiences you're considering. So you can plan with confidence. Free cancellation helps you plan for the unexpected. And 24-7 customer support means you can travel worry-free. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator.